Well, we continue our John series this morning, uh, and it's been a fair, fair while we've been going for John. It's what happens uh, in COVID times when you're preparing sermon series for, for church. You, you have to be a bit uh, flexible and nimble, and uh, we thought we'd be doing one thing, now we're doing another thing. So it's been great to be able to look closely um, at this gospel. Well, this morning, uh, we're going to talk about the idea of experiencing God. One thing that most Christians um, say is that they want to experience God, the presence of God. And we go to all kinds of lengths to do this. So uh, there's a type of monk called the ascetics. And uh, they were uh, um, t- monks that lived a long time ago, over a thousand years ago, although there's there have been ascetic monks, you know, for a up until recently as well. And they, what they do is they deny themselves of earthly pleasure uh, so that they can draw closer to God. So, for example, they, they don't get married. Uh, they, they will fast a lot. They deny themselves possessions. Um, and they believe it's purifying their soul as they do this. Another way uh, people have tried to draw close to God um, is through architecture. So if you go to Europe on holidays, which one day you'll be able to do again, um, you'll, you'll see amazing cathedrals that have been built. Uh, some, some of these cathedrals are over a thousand years old. They're enormous. And uh, some of them took over a hundred or 200 years to finish. And one cathedral I saw in Barcelona still hasn't been finished. Um, and it's been, they've been building it for over a hundred years. Uh, the idea there is that the, um, the, the, the architecture, the sculptures, the paintings and the, the, the cold marble, the, the reverberant um, singing, all is supposed to draw us closer to experiencing God. People have tried to s- sort out, seek out God and, his, and experiencing God in nature as well. I mean, even in the Bible, you see Jesus going up a mountain to pray. But um, people try all kinds of things in nature. Um, Famous uh, author, Christian author Rob Bell says he likes to experience God in surfing. He says, uh, you become aware of something else going on, something more, something just below the surface, something you'd say was sublime or glorious or transcendent. Some Christians try to uh, experience God through uh, inspiring worship. So you see in the traditional high church style churches, they have, you know, uh, inspiring choral music and robes and processing and incense. You see it in uh, the Pentecostal and charismatic churches with high production music band, you know, worship bands and uh, digital screens everywhere. And you also see it in um, churches where people seek out an experience of God through the preacher. So they're looking for the most inspiring preacher and sermon. The thing is, all of these things that I've mentioned have some merit, but... Yes, you can experience God through denying yourself. Yes, through nature. Yes, through architecture. Yes, through the beauty uh, of art. Yes, through inspiring worship music and preaching. But in actual fact, none of these ways of experiencing God are the main ways Jesus taught his disciples to experience God. 
Jesus' method works no matter what your life circumstances are. These are the methods he gave the disciples at the Last Supper. And uh, so that's so that when he was gone, the idea was that they would be able to continue to experience him when he was gone in his body. So this morning, I'm going to talk about experiencing God through obedience, in spirit, experiencing God through remembering, and experiencing God through trusting. So uh, let me put that on slide up on the screen. Experiencing God through obedience. The first thing Jesus says is that obedience to God plays a huge part in experiencing God. There was an apostle, uh, Judas, and this is not the Judas you're thinking of. This is the lesser known Judas and lesser controversial because he didn't betray Jesus. So I'm going to call him Judas the loyal as opposed to Judas the betrayer. So just so you're remembering that we're not talking about Judas the betrayer. Judas the loyal asked Jesus why he wasn't going out, uh, why he wasn't going to show himself to the world. Jesus, why aren't you going to show yourself to the world? See, Judas uh, the loyal had heard Jesus say, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Judas the loyal had in his head the traditional Jewish idea that one day the Messiah would come and rise up and present himself to the world and in all his glory and everyone would bow down to him. So he's saying, Jesus, what's the deal? Why aren't you going to show yourself? And why aren't the people going to see you? And Jesus takes his question in an unexpected direction. And he talks about love. He says, the people can see me, but the only way they can see me is by loving me and obeying me. In fact, he says, the way that they love me is by obeying me. This idea that you show your love to God through obedience is, you know, there right from the start in, in the Ten Commandments when God says, He is the God who shows love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. When they live this way in obedience, Jesus said, My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And the people who don't love me won't obey my teaching and this won't be true for them. So to say it again, once Jesus is gone from the world in his body, God will be present to those people who love and obey Jesus, but he won't be present to those who do not. And this is why the world is sceptical about Jesus. Neither the Son of God nor God the Father manifest themselves to the world. They only manifest themselves to their own. And this is what some theologians call the messianic secret. God reveals himself to those who believe in the Messiah, and he does so on his terms in his timing. At the point of saying yes to following Jesus, we're, we're being obedient to him. This is how our natural response of love to Jesus 
when we become Christians. And at that point, the Father and the Son comes and lives with us. But there is a clear sense in which this relationship between obedience and experiencing God and the presence of God continues throughout our lives. But if you're a Christian and you let sin take hold of your life, sin sin and disobedience will cause your experience of God to fade over time. Worse still, ongoing sin can cause your heart to become hard. As the writer to the Hebrews says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. On the other hand, if you walk in the Spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh, then you will experience God more profoundly. And what are the desires of the flesh, you ask? Well, as Paul says, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. So if you're longing to experience God and feel like you haven't for a long time, spend some time reflecting on your obedience and on your sin. Are you showing your love to Jesus through your obedience or are you willfully persisting in unrepentant sin? Now, everyone sins, but sometimes we get lost in it and blinded by it to the point where we actually are pushing God away. And sometimes this sin is an active choice, like sexual immorality or impurity and debauchery. But other times our sin is is partly an active choice, partly a passive choice to do nothing. For example, if you are struggling with the idolatry of wealth, well, it's, it's an act, partly an active decision that you will make to spend your money the way you want to spend your money. But it's also partly a passive choice on what you choose to not give your money away to. Withholding generosity is a kind of a passive sin um, of the, and it's bowing down to the idol of of, of uh, wealth and greed. I once heard a story from uh, Peter Adam, the Melbourne Anglican minister, um, when he was the vicar of St. Jude's and he had this young adult come to him and say, Peter, I've just really been not feeling the presence of God in my life. I, I just, I can't feel God anymore. I don't know what to do. And Peter said, try giving your money away. Sometimes major areas of sin and obedience are staring us in the face and we're just not willing to look closely. And all it takes is someone to say a simple thing like, like, try giving your money away, try doing some act of radical obedience to Jesus and see what happens. When when people speak into our lives like that, we realise the sin of selfishness and greed or whatever it is has taken hold and we can do something about it. Now, you might think this sounds a bit simplistic and not very spiritual, but it's not. Yes, it's simple, but it's not simplistic. The areas of sin that catch us up and weigh us down, they're always the same areas. And they have been for thousands of years. Sex, money, power, greed, pride, lust. Now, the thing is, being truly obedient to God is really difficult. We set out to live in a way that honours God and then we mess up. 
we all find obedience a challenge. But the good news is that Jesus knows your sin. He knows your heart and he loves you. He died for you on the cross and that's how much he loved you. And so the extent to which we bask in the sunshine of his love for us, his radical and sacrificial love for us, will be the extent to which we will be motivated in love to respond in obedience. The first verse of the old American hymn called uh, He is All in All to Me says, There is constant joy abiding in Christ my Lord and King. Of his love that passeth knowledge, my heart and tongue shall sing. Let that constant joy of the knowledge of his love for you motivate you to love him in return and show that love in obedience. And when you do that, you'll experience God. Well, the second area of um, of uh, why we can experience God is through remembering. Jesus says, "All this I have spoken while still with you." In other words, I've he says I've told you lots of things, and you're probably not going to remember them all because there's a lot to take in. So don't worry, he says, God's going to send you the Advocate the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. There'll be some things you've forgotten that I said, and the Holy Spirit will remind you. Then there'll be some things I said that you don't quite get, and the Holy Spirit will open your minds and hearts so that you can understand what it was I said to you. In verse 28, it says, You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. See, the thing is, they just don't understand the important things that Jesus is saying and doing. They need the Holy Spirit to teach them and to help them. And he tells them these things so that later, when it all unfolds, they will believe in him. Jesus is saying that when he's gone, they'll continue to experience the presence of God by the Holy Spirit living in their hearts and exercising a ministry of reminding. So if you're struggling to sense God's presence in your life, one thing you could do is invite and involve the Holy Spirit to teach you when you read the Bible and when you hear the Bible discussed and taught. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he said that he continually prayed for them, that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He opens the eyes of our hearts so that we can receive Jesus' teaching. We're a privileged congregation We're a highly educated congregation. And one of the problems for people who've had lots of education is that sometimes our intellectualism gets in the way of listening to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes our critical thinking just causes us to go down a tangent or to deconstruct everything. And we're not not willing to sit humbly um, and hear... Uh, the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts about the, the words of Jesus. 
the Holy Spirit is teaching us as we read. But we're tuning out to the teacher and focusing more on our thoughts. We're like some of the kids in in uh, lockdown school. Uh, you know, I cannot get them to understand this. They sit there with their video screens turned off and they're playing with their Lego instead of listening to the teacher. That's sometimes what we're a bit like with the Holy Spirit. When I prepare sermons, the temptation for me is to read the text once and then dive straight into the commentaries and start writing. But that's not the way to write a sermon. The, the way to write a sermon, the way we're actually taught, is first of all to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to teach me to open my heart and mind, heart and mind, so that when I'm reading the, the Bible, the Holy Spirit will speak to me and work through the text into my heart, just like he did working through the, the writers of the Bible when they wrote the text down in the first place. And the same principle is true for all of us anytime we're reading the Bible. And this is good news because it shows us that it doesn't really matter how much education you've had, or how smart you are, or you think you are. But it matters how much we listen to the Holy Spirit teach the words of Jesus. The whole process of, of the Spirit teaching and reminding us of Jesus' words is a process of remembering the gospel. See, the law written on stone didn't work for God's people because they also had hearts of stone. But God promised through Jeremiah to give them hearts of flesh by writing his law on their hearts. And this is what we're talking about here, the internalization of the word. When the word is internalized in us supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit, we don't obey because we have to, but because we want to. So if you want to experience God, open your hearts and minds to the voice of the Holy Spirit, helping you remember the words of Jesus in your life. Well, the third way and the last way that we can experience God is through trusting him. He says in verse 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The peace that comes from Jesus is as a result of what happens when you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Peace is what Jesus leaves for his disciples. It's, it's like it's his bequest it's used here as a farewell. Peace be with you. I give you my peace. I'm going. And he repeats the word peace because he's saying something is special here. This is not any kind of peace. This is not available in the world, this kind of peace. Only he can offer it. This is a peace that's not dependent on your circumstances. It's not peace as the world gives. It's not the absence of trouble or an easy life. It's not peace and quiet. The peace Jesus gives is peace even in the middle of a storm. You can be in a war zone and have the peace of Jesus. You can be hungry and in poverty and have the peace of Jesus. You can be in a hospital and very sick and have the peace of Jesus. This is why they don't need to be troubled in their hearts. Peace is not just the absence of trouble. This is a peace which is a blessing. And the thing is, Jesus' circumstances were quite stressful. Verse 30, he says, I've got to stop talking now because the prince of this world is coming. 
And he's talking about Satan coming via his agents, Judas the betrayer and the soldiers, who are going to take him away to be crucified. But Jesus, the Prince of Peace, had perfect peace. He knows that Satan has no hold, hold over him. God's using this evil for good. His arrest, torture and execution at the hand of the devil's agents will all lead to the world learning that the Son loves the Father and is perfectly obedient to him. Jesus trusted in God and he implored his disciples to do the same, to trust in him, to not let their hearts be troubled, which he said for the second time in a matter of minutes. Now, trusting in God takes wisdom. You might have seen uh, the anti-vaccination Christians marching and holding up signs saying, Jesus is my vaccine or the blood of Christ is my vaccine. That's foolish trusting. Jesus never promised to make us immune from disease or suffering. Their trust is a false trust. It is not based on anything Jesus said or did. We often hold out false hopes with Jesus because we think that uh, he's promised to do something that he hasn't promised to do. He hasn't promised to give us perfect health. He hasn't promised to give us a house. He hasn't promised to give us the dream job. He hasn't promised to give us international travel. He hasn't promised that our favourite political party will win the election. We can pray for these things, but God will do what God will do. He is sovereign. But the kind of trusting in God that we can do and we should do is trusting in what he said he would do. Trust in God's promises in the Bible. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Trust in that. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Trust in that. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Trust in that. Or the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Trust in that. Or we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Trust in that. Or resist the devil and he will flee from you. Trust in that. Or if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Trust in that. Or for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Trust in that. The wise Christian trusts in the actual promises of God and they trust in his sovereignty. And when you do that, you experience God, you experience the peace of God. You experience God because by showing him you are trusting him, you are putting your faith in him. And when you put your trust in God, you are saying, I can't do this on my own, I need you. And that's what children do with their parents. And because we're God's children, God has sent us the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out 
Abba, Father. So with Jesus no longer present in his body on earth, how do you experience God now? You do it through obeying the teaching of Jesus. You do it through remembering the words of Jesus. And you do it through trusting in Jesus. Amen.